Welcome to the Readings Podcast, a fortnightly celebration of books. In today's episode, one of the world's most loved authors, Isabel Allende, talks about her latest novel, Violetta. The story of a woman whose life is shaped by some of the most important events of history, Violetta is an epic that is both fiercely inspiring and deeply emotional. And now, here's the host of the event, Readings Program Manager, Chris Gordon. First of all, the first thing that I can say to you is good morning. My name is Christine Gordon. I'm the Programming Manager for Readings, and I am delighted to be able to welcome you all here. Before we get going, I want us to start our mornings by just reflecting that wherever we are in Australia, wherever we're zooming in from, it's important that we take a little moment out of our day to reflect that wherever we are, we're living on land that's not ours. We're living on land that's not been ceded. And I think it's very important in 2022 that not only do we send our acknowledgements and our respects to our First Nations people, but also we make a commitment because we're all readers. That's why we're here, that we make a commitment to listen to our First Nations people and, in fact, for reading their stories, for taking time out, for talking about their stories in our busy lives. Without that community, we will be bereft of so much history and so much love that's all there. So let us now begin the session this morning. I'd like to introduce you to Isabel Allende. This is not a woman that actually needs much of an introduction, but I do want to give you some statistics. I do want to tell you that this is a woman that has written over 25 books and hold your breath here. She's sold more than 75 million copies. Her work has been translated into over 40 languages. She writes in Spanish. She lives in California where it's always sunny. Obama, yep, the Obama, has presented her with the Presidential Medal of Freedom. And something else that I want to mention that seems to me that without Isabel Allende, would we truly understand what magical realism is? Who else, which other female author could give us that sense that we're all connected and that we're all able to see those connections those sort of swirling mythologies that are around us. And without such a conjurer of of Isabel Allende, who somehow has the magic to be able to pull all of those stories together and embrace them into one epic novel. Isabel Allende, welcome to Melbourne. Welcome to Victoria, Australia. We are truly delighted to have you here. Thank you, Christine. I have been in your country several times and I love it. Good. And I hear that you're coming back. I hope so. Oh, so do we. Fingers crossed. I want to get a bit of a sense of how you write and why. And I know that in interviews you often say you do not suffer from a lack of stories, but rather from a lack of time. That is true. And I have had time during this pandemic. I have been locked in this attic for two years (laughs) with time, silence and solitude. So I have never been more productive. I wrote The Soul of a Woman, Violeta, another novel that is being translated, and I just started another one. All this in two years because I have had the time. Mm. So I'm, I'm doing really well in that sense. You're someone that has always penned down your stories, 
But can you tell our audience about the significance of January the 8th? I started my first book, The House of the Spirits, on January 8th, 1981. And it was a letter to my grandfather who was dying in Chile. I was living in exile in Venezuela and could not return to my country. And that book became, I mean, was very, very fortunate. It became a bestseller almost immediately in many languages. And it paved the way for all my other books. And it made me a writer. It really changed my life. So out of superstition, I thought, well, I would start a second book on the same date, given that it was a fortunate date. And then the third one, and now I don't dare change it, but also now it's a matter of discipline, not only superstition. I need to plan my year and I have a complicated life. So my way of organizing my time to be able to write freely is to have a few months a year that are mine. Everybody knows around me that by January 8th, I'm usually not available. I'm always interested when I've been reflecting on some of the interviews that you've given over the years. And often people will ask you to describe yourself that, you know, this is a common sort of question that us interviewees use. And always you have answered as a feminist, as opposed to as a writer. It seems to me that that structure, that framework of being a feminist has always come first, has it? Many things I would say today come first. I could say that I've been a mother because giving birth to my two children was probably the highlight of my life. I'm also a writer. I am a a woman mostly. But I, I like to say feminist because for many, many years, not anymore, but for many years, it was not a sexy word, something that women were struggling for the same things that I was struggling, but wouldn't call themselves feminists. Men had been very successful in depicting feminists as these hairy, smelly, ugly lesbians. And so young women especially didn't want to be called feminists. So I've made a point of calling myself that. Well, on behalf of all feminists and of all women, all mothers, all authors, we thank you for that. You've done so much for for the image of feminism. Uh, Can you remember your first feminist text that you ever read? I remember the first feminist book that I read. Ah. Uh, It was um, The Female Eunuch by Germaine Greer. And I was beginning to work as a journalist and I was full of anger and confusion. And that book gave me an articulate language to express what I felt. And it was a language that was full of humor and intelligence and defiant. It it was just great. So I thought this is this is the tone that I want for my struggle. I want a tone that it, that has this kind of, of humor in it and, and strength and n- no apologies. That's how we are down here in Melbourne. No apologies. <laughs> Jermaine no has apologies. made sure. <laughs> Fantastic. Isabel Lende's Violetta is the most gorgeous book. If you haven't had a chance to read it yet, It is a book that takes us from 1920, from one plague to 2020 to another. It's an epic, epic sort of novel and set with a striking background where there is much reform in the world, including the rise of feminism. The book is divided into four quarters, all with headings that could be considered, Isabel, recurring themes in your work, exile, passion, absence and rebirth. Did you do that on purpose? Just bring together your lifetime of themes into these quarters? No, 
Things oh. just happen, Christine. <laughs> <laughs> you think I plan this stuff? I don't. I, ju- I just open a vein and, and that's it. Something happens. On January 8th, I sit down to write. And most of the time, I don't have the slightest idea what's going to happen. Sometimes if I am going to write a historical novel, then I have researched and I have the time and the place. And that gives me a lot of material. That's, let's say, the the stage where I will move my characters. But who are the characters and what happens to them? I have no idea. But what you just said is true. There are recurrent themes in everything I write. Displacement is one of the recurrent themes, exile, because I have been a displaced person always. I was the daughter of diplomats, always saying goodbye to places and people, changing schools, languages, everything. Then I became a political refugee and then an immigrant. I know very well how it feels to to have no roots or to have roots just in your memory, but not in a place. And uh, passion has marked my life. And therefore, my unfortunately, I wish I had less passion. I would have (laughs) have committed so many horrible errors in my life out of just impulse, you know. Um, (laughs) But of course, my characters are passionate because I can't even begin to imagine someone who has, I don't know, that reasonable and calm. My son is like that. And I just don't understand my son at all. Don't understand him. We, we we have a great relationship, but really, he's like an alien to me. <laughs> and um, so, the absence is because there are big absences in my life. It's it's a mixture. It's a, they are absent physically and very present emotionally and spiritually. I'm surrounded by photographs of people whom I have loved and I still love and are dead. And the fact that they are dead doesn't mean they're not with me or that I can't connect. Somehow I do connect. I don't see ghosts. I don't hear voices. But there is an intention for that connection, which is present always. But it's also absence from places, a longing for the the extended family, a longing for my country, for for my childhood, for for things that are big absences in my life. And of course, a few men that I have loved and I don't love anymore. And that I don't even remember the guys, but I do remember my emotions at the time. Mm. And the last one was rebirth because I don't see death as an ending. I see death as transformation. I was there to hold my daughter when she was dying and my mother and then my stepfather. So I'm not afraid of death. For me, it's a, it's, it is a centering into another dimension of being. And nothing is wasted in nature. We come back somehow in a tree or in the soil. Who knows? Who knows? I hope yeah. I don't come back as a human. I would like to come back as an American dog. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. One that lives in the suburbs. Yeah. 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 I... This book takes form, like your very first novel, as a very long letter. And I know that you're an avid letter writer. It's something that you've done all your life and you've you've kept many of your letters. There's uh, statistics going around on the internet, one of your friends, my friend, the internet, that you've kept 24,000 letters. And here you are back in this epic novel penning one of your glorious long letters. 
What do you think made you go back to this sort of writing form? When I started Violeta, it wasn't planned as a letter. I started it in third person. I wanted to tell the story of a woman who lives 100 years, and that woman was modeled after my mother. It's not my mother's life, but it's many aspects of Violeta are modeled after her. I had already started the book. I was writing for a while. And I asked myself, why would a hundred-year-old woman who's dying be telling her life? Mm. Why would she do that? Mm. Unless she's telling it to somebody. Whom would she tell this to? Mm. She wants to be remembered by one person. And who is that person? The person she loves the most. I changed it to first person and I, I decided that it was a letter for the grandson. I really uh, enjoyed so many of the characters, but I was interested in the grandson in particular who, I don't want to give away t- t- too much here, but but who decides to lead a life helping others. And in some ways, the letter seemed to then become a full circle. We started with these sort of scenes of, some scenes of poverty early on, and then we end where this grandson has made it his life's work to help other people. Often I find this in your novels that we start at one place and we do an enormous sweeping circle and we end back. Yeah, Are you saying something about humanity that even with all these great changes? Look, it says something about writing fiction. Yeah, right. I mean, there, if there's no change, no evolution, there is no story. I mean, what is this? Even in in the smallest detail, a short story, for example, if there is no change, you have no story. Yeah. And and in when you write, as I try to do, big family sagas, epic novels that that cover a lot of time and a lot of space, everybody changes. The world changes in a century. Can you imagine that the twentieth century, when my stepfather was born? He was born in 1915. There were five telephones in Santiago in Chile. And so everybody knew the five numbers. And they could, <laughs> only, the, only those five families could call each other. And they would have to, <laughs> and they, they would have to turn a wheel or whatever it was. And then a, a lady somewhere would pick up and, and connect to the other family. The five families knew everything about each other, of course. And he got to see not only a man in the moon, technological revolution, the, the, everything that has happened, the internet, when he, he, couldn't, he couldn't understand the fact that you had your own whole life in a cellular phone. And, I still and, can't uh, understand it, Isabel. Yeah, <laughs> and, and you, he would be appalled to see that I'm talking to you in Australia right now. So all those changes happened, a lot of tragedy, a lot of death and bloodshed and a lot of like, incredible advances in science and technology, and socially also the feminist movement, so many other things that happen. That's what stories are about. We all know, because we're enormous fans of your work, that many of the characters in your book are based on people that you know. And I know that this is an ode to, in some ways to your mother, who died at 98, not, not so long ago, and I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry for your loss. But uh, it seemed to me that there were so many more parallels between your life and Violetta's. I think that every author has to use their own life, experience, memory, the people who get to know along the journey. That's our raw material. 
Of course, many of the things that happened to Violeta happened to me. Then I turn it around and make it fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, the, the, the marriages, the love affairs that she has are very similar to the ones I have had a, along it, my life. To be honest, I was thinking of the marriages. <laughs> <laughs> the difference is that she was much smarter than me. I mean, I stayed for the too long, for too long. <laughs> I mean, my first marriage was like her marriage to Fabian, lasted 29 years. Ah. Uh, yeah. Hers didn't last so long in the book, uh, listeners. She met someone and uh, it all changed, I guess. <laughs> she she <laughs> married very young, as I did, with the illusion of a family and kids, but it didn't work. And she got out. I didn't. I stayed. I stayed and stayed. Then she has a huge passion. Then she has, a, at the end of her life, another kind of love. And I have experienced all of those. Excuse me, but if I live long enough, I would probably have another husband. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm only 80, you know, for who knows. Maybe at 98, I will marry again. uh, Look, fingers (laughs) crossed. I think why not? not? (laughs) You know, what's the problem? That you have to marry an old man. (laughs) Do you though? That's the problem. That's terrible. (laughs) There's some other similarities between your life and that of Violetta's. Uh, I'm thinking about the beautiful foundation that she set up, that you have set up. Perhaps you can tell our listeners a little bit about that. About the foundation? About your foundation and uh, the foundation that Violetta has as well, where she realises she's she's amassed a certain amount of money and the best use of this money is to help women. Well, when my daughter died, I wrote that book, Paula. Whatever income came from that book, I put it aside thinking I will honor my daughter somehow Mm. with this, but I didn't know what it was. Mm. And then something happened in my life and I decided that to continue the work that she had been doing. And Paula had been volunteering to help. She was a psychologist, volunteer with women of high risk, mostly prostitutes and women who had been imprisoned and children. And so... Uh, I created a foundation uh, and I have been feeding that foundation with my books because really I have a very simple life and I don't need anything else. I am fine. And I already finished taking care of people, my, my children, my grandchildren and my parents. So now I'm fine and I have enough until I die. So what else do I need? And that's what, what Violeta thinks that she doesn't want to go to the other world, leaving wealth behind that has not been used properly. So she creates this foundation. And Violeta's foundation, she has the idea of the foundation because she sees one case first and then many of women who are victims of domestic violence. And when she sees it in other women, she realizes that she herself put up with it for a long time Mm -hmm. and didn't call it by its name and didn't get out in time. And it took a long, a long ordeal for her to really escape from that situation. She was emotionally tied to that man who was Mm -hmm. treating her very badly. Mm -hmm. And so she creates a foundation to create shelters and protection and change the laws to protect women against domestic violence. In my case, Mm -hmm. We just work with poverty and with uh, with need, with a lot of need. I know that it means that your life is very busy, except for uh, 
you know, at certain times when you're writing that you're often out there advocating on behalf of of women. Is that the true joy? Which I know that you have to write. Like I know that you're one of those people that has to write. There's no choice in a way. I have to write because I love the process. It's like yeah. drinking wine. I have to drink <laughs> wine. I don't have to, but I just like it. Do I have to wear makeup? No, but I love it. So yeah. it's the same with writing. But I, I suppose that there will be a time when I won't be writing because whatever my memory or attention or my capacity to focus on something will be diminished and maybe then I won't be able to write. I just want to go very quickly back to some of the main characters in your book, Violetta, and when we talk about passion and and how that gets sometimes confused with, with domestic violence and this character of Julian Bravo, like is this someone that you have met or is this someone that is an accumulation of so many men? I created the character, but I know people like that, fascinating mm. people, seductive, charismatic, mm. heroic, with a sense of adventure that cre- they create their own legend, you know, and mm-hmm. we believe the legend. Yeah. I have I have met men like that, not many, couple. So I do understand how it feels. It's very seductive, very seductive. The difference is that I would not put up with any abuse. I have been very clear about that since I was a child. And... Uh, in that sense, I have been very fortunate because I have not been, I have not suffered personal violence. But through my foundation, I see it all the time. And, and I see that women who have a Julian in their lives sometimes escape with great difficulty and they go to a shelter and, and we try to help and then they go back. Yeah. And they go back many times, many, many times. It is a well-known fact that most women who are assassinated are killed by someone who knows her, the boyfriend or the husband or some kind of companion that knows her. There is this emotional dependency from the predator that is that is really scary. It is. It is. I appreciate you putting a character like that into the book and not shying away from the seduction process of it all, really. Where And, of course, you can see how easy it would be to stay with someone like that. You can actually there is a moment, Yeah, there is a moment in the book where she says she's ashamed of yeah. having put up with that violence, but he's more ashamed of forgiving him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We only have a few more minutes, so then you, you've been so, so kind already, although I know that because you say in this book, too much kindness can be a hindrance, so I, I don't think <laughs> that you get away with it too much. I wanted to talk to you just very quickly, uh, and this is a challenge for someone like you, I think, Isabel, because I'm hoping that perhaps over the next series of questions you can just answer using one word. That's almost impossible. I know. It's like a fun game that we can play. Can you do this? Fun for you, not fun for me. (laughs) I want it to be fun. Yeah. (laughs) Let's see how we go. And I'm hoping that this will just give us all another little layer of our understanding of who you are and what makes what makes you tick really so let's start we'll start easily uh, morning or night morning the forest or the seaside forest kitchen table or attic <laughs> attic <laughs> 
<laughs> of the Shakespeare plays that you have read and that you continue to read each year, Hamlet or Othello? Romance. Which is your favorite? Which Romeo is your... and Juliet. I like the romance. Why would I want the other people? To <laughs> I take out the idea. They are, no, a lot of blood and nothing good happens. No, not about the, the. I was thinking more about the passion. Anyway, okay, yeah. Uh, the characters of the of the female characters of of the women that are raged in a way by by passion. Who do you understand more, Lady Macbeth or Juliet? Juliet. I, I, Juliet, Lady Macbeth's ambition, I don't understand it. No, I don't either. I, 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 I can't understand what is her motivation. Yeah, yeah. And then the poor woman is blamed for everything. Of course. he he's the one who, make, who, who makes all the errors. Yeah, yeah, it's outrageous actually. Yeah. Uh, for comfort reading, when you, do you read verse or novels? What novels. Do you uh, for comfort eating, sweet or salt? Sweet. No, salt. I don't know. Depends. For comfort wear, lipstick or none? Of course, lipstick. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I mean, how can you live without lipstick? Words that I live by, Isabel. <laughs> <laughs> the greatest gift that you can give another person, is it time? Or is it love? Love. Your book, Violetta, is filled, is in some way a, a love story to the last 100 years, to all the women that have stood through it and during it. Uh, but in this book, you give it both time and love, and for that I am so appreciative. It's been such a joy to talk to someone like you. Thank you, Christine. You're what a wonderful. gift. Thank you. <laughs> Good luck to the bookstore. <laughs> All right. We will survive. To yeah. everyone out there, uh, it's time. It's time to take some space out of your day and read something that is epic and filled with kindness and ambition and women that you can <laughs> style your entire life on. To you, Isabella Linde, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Take care. Take care, everyone. You can stream previous episodes of The Readings Podcast on our website. We'll also find all kinds of bookish recommendations and plenty of great books, music, film, and TV. You can also sign up to eNews or to receive our free monthly print newsletter, The Readings Monthly. Production for this podcast was by me, Nico Callion. The show's music is by Tom Hoskins. All of our podcasts are recorded and produced on the lands of the Kulin Nation. We respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of this land and that sovereignty was never ceded.